I'd like to ask you to think for a moment about this statement that I'm putting on the screen this morning. Knowing who we are determines how we live. What do you think about that? I think it is very, very true. And I think it is especially true spiritually. When we understand our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, that will always and ever determine how we live. I became a genuine Christian as a teenager. And I've shared with you before that growing up in my church, I was a squirrely kid who goofed off. I didn't take much very seriously. And then the Lord Jesus Christ saved me. And I knew immediately I was different. My Sunday school teachers and youth leaders began to notice a difference in me. Uh, like all teens in high school, I wanted very much to be fit, to fit in and to be accepted. But there were some things that I drew a line over. And quite honestly, I didn't care if my high school friends thought I was uncool. Uh, my friend Bill sat behind me for four years of high school. Uh, he got to know the back of my head very, very well. And I'll never forget one day I was a senior, and Bill made fun of, fun of me in front of my classmates. Do you know as I think back on that, it didn't bother me? And the reason it didn't bother me is I knew Bill did not understand who I belonged to. I did. I knew who I was. And my identity in Jesus began to radically affect my behavior. It gave me a resolve, a strength, and a purpose that I had never had before I really knew Jesus. Now this morning, we are finishing Romans chapter 6, and the subject of Romans 6 is sanctification. And I want to share with you this morning a little definition of sanctification as we prepare to look into God's Word. Notice this from .questions.org. The word sanctification is related to the word saint. Both words have to do with holiness. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him or her holy. Now there are two things we need to understand about sanctification this morning. Number one, no Christian will ever be perfectly or entirely sanctified in this life. For those of us who grew up in a Wesleyan holiness background, we were taught you can reach entire sanctification in this life, but the Bible is very clear. We will struggle with sin and we will sin until the day that Jesus Christ takes us into His glorious presence. The second thing that we need to understand is another error. And that is that sanctification can be separated from justification. That is that you can be justified, but not be sanctified. And the Bible makes that very clear as well. That is an error. We will progress in holiness because the same Savior who justified us 
is the same Savior who sanctifies us. Now the foundation for this progress in sanctification is knowing who we are. There is a very clear pattern in Scripture. The Bible says to us, this is who you are. And now because you know who you are, this is how you are to live. And the more we understand our identity, the more we will make progress in sanctification. Let me say that again. The more we understand our identity in Christ, the more we will make progress in sanctification. Now this morning, as we come to the last part of Romans 6, the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that our identity is slaves of God. If you are a Christian here this morning, look at the screen. God has made you His slave. And it is when you understand that identity that you will make progress in being a holy person. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. If you want to use the chair Bible in front of you, it is page 1121. And let's look together at this wonderful teaching that the Apostle Paul gives to us. It is so very, very vital for our Christian life. Now, I'm going to work our way through these verses. I will not read them all as we begin this morning. But I want us to see something that is very critical as we look through this passage. Slaves in the Roman Empire had at least five traits in common. They had acquired their slavery. They had duties in that slavery. There was fruit or a product, an effect that came out of it. All slaves had attitudes and then they received wages. Here's the interesting thing. All five of these traits are here in Romans 5. Now we need to be very careful because Paul is not condoning slavery, but he knew the power of illustration. It is estimated that one-third of Rome were slaves. It is very likely that half of the church of Rome either had been slaves or were slaves. As we work through these verses, eight times we will see the word slave. It is a powerful, powerful image. And here's what Paul wants us to understand. All of us are under one of two slaveries. Pastor Ken Hughes in a wonderful sermon on this passage says this, All humanity serves under one of two slaveries, either sin or God. There is no middle ground. Think of this this morning. There is no third option. There are only two. And as we look at these options this morning, which one are we? Do you know this is the most critical question in all of life? The most critical question in anyone's life, which slavery am I under? Let's begin with this first trait, all right? Paul tells us here that slaves of sin acquire this slavery by birth. Look with me at verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God, writing about Christians, 
that you were once slaves of sin. Now, did you notice here that Paul does not tell us how we got that way? And if we ask the question, why doesn't he go into that? Well, because the Bible teaches us that each one of us has inherited a sin nature from our parents all the way back to Adam. We saw that in Romans 5 and verse 12 where the Bible says, For by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all people because all sinned. You and I were born this way. One day Jesus was talking to the Jews. And He said to them, You need to be set free. And they objected strenuously. What do you mean we need to be set free? And look at how they responded to Jesus in John 8, 33. He said, we are offspring of Abraham. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? By the way, isn't it interesting how those who are often the most in bondage to sin are the ones who most proclaim their freedom? Isn't that interesting? And yet, what did Jesus say? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. You see, the very fact that we sin from the earliest days of childhood shows that we are under a master that controls our behavior, our choices, and our life direction. We are born this way. But now notice how we become slaves of God. Notice that Paul says it is by a faith commitment. Look again at verse 17. He says, you became obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you were committed. If you have the New International Version this morning, it says, you wholeheartedly obeyed what you were entrusted to. Wholeheartedly is a very interesting way of describing becoming a Christian. When we do something wholeheartedly, we do it sincerely, completely, and we do it with inner commitment. So here's what happens when we become a Christian. We recognize our lost and helpless condition. We realize that without Jesus, we are desperate. And by an act of faith, we trust Him as Savior, as the only hope of our deliverance from sin, and then we surrender to Him as Lord, as the one who has the right to rule over our lives. Over and over here at Bethel, we say this is the most important message at Bethel. We cannot change our lives at the deepest level. Our bondage to sin is too deep, but Jesus can change us powerfully. And if we will place our trust in Him with an inner commitment, He will give us a new freedom. That is the message of the Gospel. 
Now notice as Paul continues in this description, he moves to the duties of slaves. And I want you to notice the duties of slaves of sin. Those duties are disobedience. Look down at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Fasten with me for just a moment on that word free. It is a very important word. It means to be unrestrained, exempt from obligation or liability. What is God saying to us here? Slaves of sin feel no obligation to do God's will or follow His word. They live a self-directed and self-pleasing life that is ultimately disobedience to God. Over the years of my life, perhaps like you have, I have had people ask me to lie on their behalf. The first person who ever asked me to lie for him to a boss that we were working for in the summer, uh, I remember not only being sort of taken back, he asked me to lie to our boss. But the thing that really struck me is how nonchalant it was. We had just started working together and, and barely knew each other, And yet he just said to me, I need you to cover for me. Would you lie to our boss? It was almost as though he was just saying something like to me, would you tell the boss that we had good weather today? I mean, it was said in the same casual, nonchalant way. And I thought, how in the world can he ask a total stranger to lie in such a casual manner? Listen to me. When you are a slave of sin, you feel the rules do not apply to you. You are not troubled by the wrong that you do. Your disobedience is not something that deeply troubles your heart. But notice what happens when you become a slave of God. Now you recognize a new uh, duty, and that duty is obedience to God. Look at verse 16, and notice how he describes it. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? you will notice something very interesting. Slaves to God does not appear in this passage until verse 22. Uh, Take a look down there and look at it. In verse 16, it is slaves of obedience. In fact, that expression occurs twice. And you say, why? Why does he say slaves of obedience long before he ever describes the Christian as a slave of God? Well, listen very carefully. When you become a Christian, God reshapes your orientation. You now see the commands of God in a new way, and you want to obey those commands. They are no longer a burden to you, but they are a blessing to you because you know 
They enable you to please God. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible on this very issue is 1 John 5.3. And I want you to notice what this verse says. If you're a Christian today, you resonate with this verse. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not what? Grievous. And the word grievous there, as is outlined in the box, means burdensome, heavy, distressing, or unreasonable. If you are a Christian here today and you have become a slave of God, you know this change in your heart towards the commandments of God. You look at those commandments and you say, this is a way that I show my love to God. This is not a burden to me. It is a blessing. I used to love Billy Graham describe what happened when he became a Christian as a teenager. He said that he came to know the Lord as a Savior, as a teenager. And he said previous to that, I didn't pay any attention to the sermons in our church. Didn't listen to our pastor at all. And then he said, the Lord saved me. And all of a sudden, I began to listen. He said, I would come home from church and I would say to my parents, my, that was a great sermon that Dr. Lindsay preached this morning. And he said, what happened? He said, I was listening with new ears. New ears. When you become a slave of God, you get new ears. And you start listening. When you become a slave of God, you get a new heart. And you want to obey. Now, notice as Paul continues, he he moves to the fruit of these two slaveries. And notice the fruit of slavery to sin is deeper sin. It's deeper sin. Look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Understand, Paul says, this is an illustration. I'm not condoning slavery. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Notice what he says. When we were slaves of sin, we offered our bodies to impurity and lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness. Literally, in the original language, it is lawlessness to lawlessness. And he is describing a process that every one of us knows here very, very well. Sin, if unchecked in our lives, leads to more and more sin. It leads to deeper and deeper sin. It leads to worse and worse sin. We all know that. We understand that. If sin is unchecked in our lives, it will not remain where it is, but it will take us deeper 
and deeper. I was sitting one day in English class in my senior year. Miss Agard, our teacher, got a letter from a former student. The student was writing to Miss Agard and wanting her to read the letter to us as seniors because he was in prison for murder. And this is what he said. He said, when I was a teenager, I thought it was really cool to play around and smoke marijuana. But he said, what I discovered was that that marijuana led me to harder and harder drugs. He said, one day, high on drugs, I burned my girlfriend's house down with her in it. And he said in the letter to us as seniors, I know that you will not listen to me. But he said, don't start with drugs and end up going down the same path that I went down. I thought several years earlier, I was in the high school auditorium with several students. We were back behind the stage working on a project. Suddenly I smelled a smell I had never smelled before. I didn't know who lit up that joint. But I, as I recall, he was there that day. And I want you to think about this. His friends thought it was cool. Some would have said it's harmless. But who would have thought that lighting up that first joint would have led him on a trajectory down to the place where one day high on drugs he would commit murder. We all understand that process. There's an old statement that Paul is teaching us right here by an unknown Christian. Listen to what it says. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And we all know that from our past lives. We all know that from the world we live in. We know this is the cost of slavery to sin. But now look at the fruit of slavery to God. It is holy and clean living. Look down at verse 22 and notice what he says. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. Now, What is Paul saying to us here? He's saying the more that we obey God, the more that He cleans up our life and He makes us pure. It's interesting, if you go back to verse 17, you will notice, he says, when you became a Christian, you were delivered over to that standard of teaching to which you were committed. The word standard is a very interesting word in this verse. It is used of a mold or a form. Now, all of us understand how a mold or a form works. You have a mold, 
And you pour an element in it, and that mold forms that element, whether it be plastic or whether it be metal or some other element, it molds it to the shape of that mold. We all understand that image. Now here's what God is saying. Follow this very carefully. As we obey God, He pours us into the mold of divine truth. And that divine truth shapes our character. And out of that shaped character comes sanctification and increasing holiness. Let me say that again. As we obey God's divine truth, God pours His children into the mold of divine truth, which then forms their character. Since all behavior flows out of character, as our character is formed by divine truth, we grow in sanctification and we become holier and holier. Do you remember in the verses previous to this section, we learned a very important principle. And that principle is this, in using our bodies for right choices, we more and more break the power of wrong choices. Remember that principle? In using our bodies for the right choices, we more and more break the power of the wrong choices. And now as we come here, we understand why that is. God has made us a slave. He has delivered us over to His truth. As we learn and follow and obey that truth, He now is forming our character, and that character will transform our behavior. One of the great teachers on the book of Romans was Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones. He pastored for many years at Westminster Chapel in London. He taught every Friday night for years on Romans. I want you to listen to his perceptive comment at this point. It is so very helpful. As you go on living this righteous life, and practicing it with all your might and energy and all your time, you will find that the process that went on before, in which you went on from bad to worse and became viler and viler, is entirely reversed. You become cleaner and cleaner, and purer and purer, and holier and holier, and more and more conformed unto the image of the Son of God. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul says this twice in these verses. Look at verse 19. At the end of the verse, he says, this leads to sanctification. And then he wants us to know this so importantly that in verse 22, what does he say? He says it again. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. He is saying to us, allow God to pour us into the mold of divine truth. And what we will find is our lives are becoming holier and holier, just 
as Pastor Lloyd-Jones described. Now there's a fourth trait, number four. Slaves have attitudes. Slaves have attitudes. And the attitudes of slaves of sin is no shame, but the attitudes of slaves of God is shame over sin. Look at verse 21 and 22, and as I read it, you will notice the word now appears twice. It is contrasting our past slavery to sin with our present slavery to God. Notice the word. Look with me at verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end is eternal life. Do you see the contrast with the word now? Before there was no shame in our sin, but now as slaves of God, there is shame over our sins. Two of my favorite students of the book of Romans are Charles Cranfield and my former professor Doug Moo. I want you to listen to their perceptive insights at this very point that have been so very helpful to me. Here's Charles Cranfield. To be ashamed of one's past evil ways is a vital element in sanctification. And Doug Moo says, shame toward the products of our pre-Christian lives is positive shame. Did you know that there is a healthy shame? There is a positive shame. I'm ashamed of that lie that I told. I'm ashamed of that lust that I entered into. I'm ashamed of that stubbornness that I showed. I'm ashamed of that pride. You see, what happens is this. The variability that God has now given to His children to be ashamed of our sin is a powerful corrective. Brothers and sisters, it is not the person who feels shame for their wrongdoing that is headed for trouble. It is the person who is not ashamed of their wrongdoing who is headed for trouble. For how will we ever change from the wrongs that we have done unless we feel shamed? Tonight as I go to the prison, I am going to be preaching to men who have done shameful things. 
I'm going to preach this very message tonight. This is what I know. I know unless they will feel their shame over what they've done, they will never turn to Jesus. And if they never turn to Jesus, they'll never be changed. And shame over wrongdoing is the characteristic of a slave of God who has been changed. Now, by the way, all slaves of God have a solution for our shame, don't we? It's in a Savior who hung naked on a cross. He felt not only incredible pain, But think of the shame. Think of our Savior's shame. He was a man like us. And He hung naked on a cross. There was shame in that. And I'm so glad He did because the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all our shame. Where sin abounded, says the Bible, grace abounded all the more. And when you're a slave of God and you're ashamed of your sin and yourself, you have a place to go. And you have a Savior. And He washes that shame away. And you come out clean and fresh. And you know you're new. What a wonderful thing He has given to us. But now notice how this closes. Slaves have wages. And look at the wages. For slaves of sin, it is death as a payment. Verse 23. So the wages of sin is death. You all know that slaves received an allowance. If they could save enough money, they could buy their freedom. And sin pays, doesn't it? Sin pays. Haven't we just seen that with the sad ending? of the billionaire financer, Jeffrey Epstein. Billionaire. Owned his own island. Had the world at his fingertips. Yet he was arrested years ago and put on probation for trafficking young girls. And it didn't stop him, for he was arrested again for abusing other women. He died in his jail cell. And the very week I planned to preach on this verse, the medical examiner comes out with a report. He died of suicide. 
The wages of sin is death. And not just physical death. Spiritual and eternal. But then notice the end for slaves of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is sin called a wage and eternal life is called a gift? Look at what we've just seen. Faith in Christ. Obedience to His Word. A cleaned up life. A true hatred of sin. Can you earn that? Can I deserve that? How could we ever deserve that? Faith in Christ, obedience to His Word, a cleaned up life, a true hatred of sin. God gives that to us freely when we receive His Son. Probably for most of us, this is one of the earliest verses we ever learned. But now we see it in a new light. For eternal life is slavery to God. It is becoming His and receiving the identity of children of God. It is growing in likeness to Him throughout this life as He pours us into the mold of His divine truth. And then someday it culminates in perfection in the presence of the Lord. Read this verse and see it in the light of your slavery to God. Let's quote it together this morning as we close. Join me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's bow our heads together. And let's pray. This morning, if you are unsure as to whose slave you are, you need to make sure. If you've never seen your bondage to sin, the master that controls you. If you would say today, no one controls me. I'm as free as an American can be. Jesus would say to you, how great is your blindness. He said, if the Son shall make you free, only then will you be free indeed. And I invite you to come to Him. 
right where you're sitting. Confess to Him your helpless condition. Confess your desperation. Confess your shame to Him over things that only you may know. And cast yourself upon His mercy. Trust Him to be your Savior. Surrender to Him to be your Lord. Ask Him to make you His child. To make you His slave. And to change you forever. Lord Jesus, Your Spirit is here. The Word is here. You can take the scales from blind eyes. You can turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. You can bring new life. We call upon you for that work that only you can do. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.